Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be going into the Salt and Light closet and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the spring of 2018. We begin by speaking with Joe Sikora about how he and his family defied gravity after finding out that both his sons were diagnosed with a terminal degenerative disease. You don't want to miss that conversation. And then we meet with a new and young singer-songwriter, Corey Marie. In our second half hour, we reconnect with filmmaker and author Jared Brock about his new book and documentary about the little-known inspiration for the lead character in Uncle Tom's Cabin, a man named Josiah Henson. And we end the program by meeting a young singer-songwriter, Taylor Tripodi. We begin now with Defying Gravity. I don't have to ask you how you would respond if you found out that your child was diagnosed with a rare and fatal neurological illness and that his life expectancy would be about 20 years. But how would you respond if you found out that both your children had the same condition? That is the story of the Sikora family. In his book, Defying Gravity, Joe Sikora shares how he and his wife received the courage and the support that they needed to give their children abundant, fulfilling lives in spite of their gradual decline. And to tell us more, um, I'm very, very delighted that we're joined now by Joe Sikora. Joe, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Uh, Deacon, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, no, I really appreciate that what you've done to to share this this story of it's a difficult story, but it's a story of hope as well. And and I really appreciate that that you took the time to write it. Um, for people who are, I mean, most of us have never heard of Batten disease. So both your boys, John and Ben, had this rare disease. It's called Batten disease. Can you briefly tell us what the disease does to the to the people who have it? Right, and and most people have never heard of it. Most doctors. Have, like scratch their yes. heads and go, wow. what is it, juvenile batten disease? So it's very rare. But basically the onset, uh, it's a genetic disease. Uh-huh. Um, and the onset is about seven years old where kids start losing their sight. And eventually uh-huh. they go blind. Right. Uh, it's followed by seizures, usually in the early teens, loss of cognitive and motor function. And kids generally um, succumb to it, die you know, late teens to early 20s. So that's the progression. It's not pretty. So they're progressively getting, losing more more abilities kind of thing as they grow yes. older until yeah. they, they are not able to, I guess, even walk, breathe, feed themselves? Yes, yeah. correct. Every, everything is always, it's, it's not how natural life is supposed to progress. No. You know, with young people, you grow independently, but with Batten disease, it's, it's degenerative and right. it just robs you of, you know, all of your functioning capacity, um, you know. So what goes? So it's, it's a it's a nasty disease. Yeah. What goes through your mind when you first find out that John and and uh, well, I guess that John had it, and then you found out that Ben had it too. Yeah. It you know it's it's hard to with that kind of shock. It's hard for the brain to assimilate. You know, mm-hmm. you you just you know the death of a child is something that you the brain just has difficulty comprehending, and and so a lot of it is, you know, you're kind of in denial. You say, no, this can't be true. You look at your beautiful child and you say, I I don't see disease. I just see beauty and health. And, 
And, uh, you know, we first, you know, got the diagnosis with John, and then we still lived in denial. The doctor said, you know, you need to get Ben, your other son, checked because there's mm-hmm. a one-in-four chance because yeah. it's genetic that he has it. And we just said, no, no, he doesn't have it, he doesn't have it, but we'll get him checked. And so it was about six months later, in fact, that we found out that Ben also uh, suffered from the same disease. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was brutal. Yeah. Now, maybe maybe it's fair to tell everybody right now at this point, John did die two and a half years ago. He was 24 years old. He he did. John John died two and a half years ago. And, um, you know, of course, e- even though you live, you know, I mean, you and I know we're going to die. <laughs> but yes. if the doctor told you, hey, Deacon, or hey, Joe, you've got a week to go or yeah. something like that, it, it would be... You'd experience all kinds of emotions, of course, but you know, part of it would be, huh? What? It's it's hard to understand, and and that's what we experienced with John. Even though we had lived with a lifetime of this, it was shocking and still devastating and painful. Yet, I, I've got to say, you know, and you you've read the book, and I really appreciate you taking the time to read the book. It's not a book. It's it's not depressing. It's, no. it's moving. You know, it's emotional. But the whole story that I really wanted to share is that despite the crosses that we're going to carry in our life, and we will, you're Mm -hmm. going to encounter health crisis, loss, death, you can live joyfully. And and that's a result of the gospel message. That's the result of what God did for us. You know, when God enters into the mess of our lives, you experience that grace. And and that's what we discovered. Yeah, and and, I mean, it's it's easy to... It's easy to say we need to choose joy, but choo- I mean choosing joy every day in the midst of those little daily, or maybe not, they weren't always little, but struggles is not that easy. Right. Um, but, but you have to choose right. joy every moment, every day. Yes. Yeah, a- absolutely. And you're right. It's, it's not easy. And frequently it is the little things, but you know, God always gives us a choice. We can choose to follow him or not. I, yeah. I always go back to, I love the Apostle Paul, and Paul in, in chapter 4 of Philippians, he, he speaks so beautifully, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase it badly, but he says, <laughs> you know, I've, I've found the secret to being joyful, to yeah. being happy, no matter what it is I have. And, and I, I think Paul's yeah. discovery is what I discovered, which is, our circumstances don't have to dictate whether or not we're joyful or happy. Yeah. They never will. It's really that choice to see God, to experience God, you know, in our, in our everyday life. That's what brings joy. Yeah. I'm glad that you, sorry to interrupt, but I'm glad that you quoted scripture because one of the things I actually liked about the book, and I don't know how, I don't know how conscious it was that you did this, that the book is not just, as you said, a, a hopeful story, a, a story about finding light in the darkness, but I love how it actually helped me see some scripture passages differently. Because you, it's almost like some of it was. So can you, um, you know, for example, when you when you speak about the seed that must die, right, um, and be buried, um, what? Tell us about that, because there's a lot of lessons that you learned, um, but not all yeah. the lessons are scriptural in our lives, but I think they can be. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- that was the journey for me is as I moved through, as I was writing this book, and it was a process of years, quite honestly. Uh-huh. And I would go back over these incidents that I had experienced. Some of them just really goofy and funny, you know, yeah. watching my goofy dog and, yes. you know, going, wait a second. 
And, and scriptures would come to mind, and I would meditate and think about it and put it in the context of my life, and the parable of the seed, you know, mm-hmm. the, the seed must die, Christ says, you know, yeah. before it can really sprout eternal life. And, and I would say the seed for me, and I'm not a theologian, you, you're better equipped to talk about this than I would am, but for me, the seed is what we think our lives are. And, and, and I think in a sense, God says, no, you've got to bury that so that it can become real life, the life that I'm offering you. Yeah. And, and, and again, for me, it was to let go of my hopes, my dreams, and, and, and place them before God so that I could discover new life. And that's really, that's, that was this discovery. That's, yeah. that's what I found, is that new life that only God can give. Yeah, that's so hard, though, for all of us to let go of our expectations yeah. of what our, my life should be or shouldn't be or could have been. Um, you mentioned, I mean, John John passed two and a half years ago. Ben is still alive. Ben knows that he has the same condition as his brother. He knows what what is coming. How does that help him or make it harder for him to let go? Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah. And I guess for well, you for you and your wife, Lori, too, to know what's coming, it doesn't make yeah. it easier to let go. No. You know, because of the nature of the disease and because it's a brain disease and, you know, there's some, some understanding eludes Ben. <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't quite get right. it completely. Right, right. Um, which is a real grace. Uh, but we really focused on living life in the moment. And I, and I really think, again, that's, that's the message. That's what God is saying is you, you can't live in the fear of the future. You can't live in the regret of the past. I am right here right now. Yeah. And so that has always been our focus is, is really experiencing joy and grace and love and laughter and, yes, tears and sorrow, but all in the moment and bringing God into each and, that, and every moment. And so that's how we've lived life, not necessarily with, oh, we've got this hatchet over our heads, right. we're, we're facing pending doom, but where are we today? Uh-huh. How can we look around and find God in, the, in our midst today? And, and so that's how we've approached our life, um, you know, rather than worrying about what's going to happen or when is the good Lord going to take them or not. It's like, mm-hmm. where are we today? What are we doing today? Yeah, and that's a so lesson. That's been my focus. No, and that's yeah. a lesson that's good for all of us at any yeah. point in our lives. Um, Joe, again, I I'm so glad that I mean I'm not glad of the circumstances, but but in a way I'm glad that that you were able to you and Lori were able to to choose to to to, to learn what you learned to choose joy and to pass that on to the rest of us. Um, because yeah. it's uh, it's an important lesson, and and thanks to John and Ben too, who I think also had a hand in in teaching you a lot. Oh, they did <laughs> every day. <laughs> every day, and the lessons continue. There's no doubt about for it. for sure, and they continue. And, and I, you know, just so you know, I, I wouldn't trade my life with anybody. You yeah. know, what I've experienced, the love I've experienced, um, the graces I've experienced, uh, cannot be bought. Uh, they, they, but they are there for you and everyone to experience. Yes. That, that's what God offers us. Amen. And, and by the way, all, all of the proceeds of the book mm. are being donated. I'm, I'm not making a dime off the book. We're actually donating all the proceeds to Beyond Batten Disease. Excellent. Yeah, uh, good. You know. Yeah, so that's good. A, another incentive for people to to get the book, but it's definitely a worth, worth getting. 
Thank you, Joe, once again for sharing a little bit of your story with us um, through the book and today Absolutely. on the show. Thank you. Joe Sikora, he's a former actor and stuntman. He was a police officer for 17 years and is now a marriage and family therapist. He's the host of the Joe Sikora Show on Relevant Radio, and he's the husband and Lori, and they are the parents of John and Ben. Joe's book, Defying Gravity, is published by Ignatius Press. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Corey Marie, with Joy Riding from her debut album, The Hearth. That was Corey Marie with Joy Riding from her debut album, The Hearth. 
Corey Marie has been writing music since she was like 12 years old. For the last three years, she has been leading worship at her parish in Maryland and has been traveling to retreats and conferences to speak and lead worship. For the last two years, she has sung for the National Christ Life Conference and she opened for Abbey Fest in 2017. Since 2016, she's been pursuing a career in music full-time and has just recorded her debut album, The Hearth, which we've been listening to. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Corey Marie. Corey, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you for having me. It's so good to, to, to meet you and to have you on the program. So um, what, was, what was it like growing up? Well, um, I grew up in a very large family, uh, most would consider it large. I'm one of seven children. Yeah, that's large. <laughs> And and it was fun. It it still is fun. Um, we've definitely grown into our personalities over the years. Right. And, you know, just how to connect with lots of different personalities. Are you and sorry? Are you are you in the middle? The youngest? The oldest? I'm number five. Okay. So. Of of seven. Yes. Yes, five of seven. Um, there are three girls and four boys. Okay. And, and we were all actually really sports-oriented family, mostly. Uh-huh. My dad coached soccer, so I grew up on the soccer field. Right. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So, so was it was it also a musical household? Somewhat. My mother, um, she sang, and she actually, she sang on her own and with a friend, and they actually called themselves Eminem for a little bit until they <laughs> heard there was another Eminem. Right. Um and then she also sang a little bit, doing the same thing that I do now, uh-huh. which um, she was singing at, at Stevensville conferences with Crossroads. Okay. So wow. She, yeah, so she sang. Um, but for the most part, none of us kids, she taught piano lessons to the, the oldest. Uh-huh. Um, but as soon as she got more kids, it was harder for her to do. <laughs> so it, I don't think that many of us played or many of us played together. No. Um, but she played piano, obviously. Did she play at home? She did. Yeah. And a lot of Carol King and James Taylor played right, in our household. Right, right, right. Um, and and you, uh, I, mean, I, I, uh, I know that you were writing music from age 12. Were you singing? Were you already playing uh, guitar? I was writing and singing and then learning guitar at that time. Okay. I had an instructor at my school, so we had electives. Um, in, uh-huh. my, in my middle school. Yeah. So that's where I started to learn. Okay. Um, were you singing in church? No, actually. Um, really? Well, yeah. I wasn't singing in church. I never, I never sang in the choir. Um, I actually started my my school was a non-denominational, okay. uh, or a really interdenominational Christian school. Uh huh. So a lot of Catholics, but also a lot of non-Catholics, and we had. Thursday mornings, every every Thursday in school, we had chapel where there was a lot of praise and worship music okay. and praying with each other. And that's really where I learned um, how uh-huh. to lead worship and to sing. Uh-huh. But it was really localized to my school when I was in middle school. Okay. Was it, was growing up, were you, were you growing up in a fairly Catholic sort of household, like Mass every Sunday and that kind of thing? Or, I mean, the very fact that you were going to, a, that you were not going to a Catholic school... Um, um, yeah, well, we, sorry, I cut you off a little bit. No, go ahead. We were very Catholic, um, and my dad is a, a religion teacher, still is, okay. at a Catholic yeah. high school, 
but they were a part of uh, a kind of covenant community at the time uh-huh. called Lamb of God, and that's really where that community was hmm. where I went to school, and a lot of my peers were non-Catholics, but we went to Catholic Church every Sunday, and I went through um, CCD and, and the sacraments, so right. it was it was an interesting upbringing, but in a very good way. Uh-huh. So. Now, so uh, did you go through a period growing up where you were, you know, not really into your faith or or not into church? I wouldn't say in a way in which, you know, some people might step away completely. I yeah. think at times I was lukewarm in my faith, uh-huh. and I struggled with kind of uh, one foot in, one foot out, and uh-huh. that was more in college. I definitely had, like, I was trying to go out on my own and figure things out. Um, but I don't, I never really strayed too far. I had moments where I would like, I would kind of go that way and then be like, you know what? It's kind of better where I was. And, right. And I would dive back in. Yeah. Uh, so never really completely turning away, but definitely having ebbs and flows in my face in terms yeah. of strength, which, which right. still continues today. Cause yeah, I guess. Always drawing me in. Yeah. You and everybody else. What, what, yep. what sort of change for you then two or three years ago that you decided to try to do this worship music thing full time? So I, after college, well, at the at tail end of my college years, I was participating in a young adult group mm-hmm. that I'd been invited into um, primarily because I, I did play guitar and I sang, and, and the leader knew that, so he was kind of drawing me in, and I didn't know it at the time, but I really entered in because of of the singing and the music, and I was able to mm-hmm. um, connect deeper because of that. So he um, invited me in, and there were many times during where they would ask me to sing, and I, I still was at college, this last year of college, and I would notice that everything in the book would come up the day that they had asked me to sing, and I would notice, like, my throat would close up or just right. various things. And, and one day I, I showed up anyway because I had been falling into maybe not doing it and just, like, using that as an excuse. Uh-huh. And I showed up one day and asked for prayer, and I, I didn't have that problem anymore after praying. Hmm. Um, so God kind of, like, he kept putting that on my heart. I started working in my field, which is exercise science. Yeah. And during that time... I just felt more and more um, a call. I think it was after a retreat with the same group. I went on this retreat, and I came home, and I just felt like I was sitting in my parish, and I was listening to the music at my church, and I felt called to just go talk to them Uh and just ask, like, hey, is there a way that I can get connected? Because up until this point, I had never really connected to my parish Mm -hmm. through music. Hmm. and yeah. so I started doing that for a few months, and and what really happened was just this desire grew yeah. more and more to just be involved, and and I would notice that people would ask me to right. sing for them or to do yeah. conferences, but I wouldn't have the time because of my, my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through prayer and through a lot of different things that I wish I could even go into more detail, but yeah. um, a lot of different ways that God just kept putting it on my heart. So I went to my boss and I told him, like, I think I'm supposed to lead music more and to go and into ministry more. And he actually 
oddly enough, had seen that start to grow in me. And he, he's not a believer. He's, he's not a practicing Christian, but he could just see that the more I sang, the more yeah. alive I became. So yeah. they kind of just that's uh, great. encouraged yeah. me in that yeah, when I said that. That's usually the best kind of confirmation. So what, just because we're, we don't have a lot of time, so at what point did you decide, look, I have so many songs, I think I should record an album? Um, how did that work? Um, that was probably about a year ago, maybe even before, maybe last January. Uh-huh. I just, I knew I needed to take action in the album. Be- a lot of it, honestly, because people would ask me, do you have any music that I can listen to? You know, and a lot of it was for people to hire me. Right. Just, you know, right. They were like, they would come out after yeah. church or something. So I just thought I need to put something together. I uh-huh. have a lot of songs I've written over four years, so uh-huh. we'll just we'll see where this goes. Yeah, I mean, how did you settle on the title, the hearth, the hearth? That came later. <laughs> yeah, that came at um, just because we wanted to preserve in the sound of the album um, a realness and a rawness, and creating an intimate space. I think the intimate space yeah. is where. Yes. That name came out of. Just yeah. The people listen and they can feel like I'm in their home. Yeah. Yeah. There is something very homey about it. And I think that that's, imp- I mean, learning your story, that I think there's something very much about home and family that's important for you. Um, mm-hmm. And and that comes through a little bit in your music. I, I really, really enjoy what I've heard and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more. So the album, The Hearth, drops on August 17th. Um, people can get, you said that they can get, you, you're still taking pledges, pledgemusic.com. If people look up Corey Marie, Corey Marie at pledgemusic.com, they can, they can maybe even get a free, a free signed copy of the, of the album, of the CD. People still get CDs. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and maybe they can get that, you said a week before August 10th or so, right? Yes. Um, if they do that. So, um, but people should go to your website, Corey Marie Music as well. Uh, so they can mm-hmm. get more information on that. That's all the time we have, Corey. But uh, thank you so much. This has been super cool. I'm I'm looking forward to listening to the whole album. I'm going to go and put in my own pledge, and uh, and uh, and hopefully there's more more music to come in the future, so we can uh, get you back on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great. I love the music, and I love love meeting you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. As I said, Corey Marie's album, The Hearth, drops on August 17th. Um, just go to pledgemusic.com slash Corey Marie, and you can uh, find out how you can get your own signed copy of that. Uh, you can also uh, learn more about Corey Marie, learn more about the album, book her for your next event at her website, CoreyMarieMusic.com. And here now is Corey Marie with The Potter's Hand from her debut album, The Hearth. Let him work. 
listening to Corey Marie with her song, The Potter's Hand, from her debut album, The Hearth. This is a special edition of the Saltonite Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltonitetv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. He rescued over a hundred slaves. He was a guest of Queen Victoria at Windsor Castle. He was a guest at the White House. He was one of the inspirations for Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin, the novel that they say supposedly sparked the U.S. Civil War. Yet, I bet you've never heard of him. His name is Josiah Henson. And thanks to author and filmmaker Jared Brock, There's a book and a documentary now that are making his story better known around the world. And to tell us more about this man's extraordinary life, I'm now joined by Jared Brock. Jared, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks for having me on again, Dr. Uh, Pedro. Um, uh, I, I was, I was just telling, I'll tell our, our, our listeners, I was just telling Jared that I, I'm so inspired by how busy you are, but it's great because you keep coming back on those, keep busy and we'll keep, keep bringing you back to the salt and light hour to talk about <laughs> what you're doing. Um, so I, I do want to get to how you came across Josiah Henson, but first, so he was, he was a slave for 40 years, right? Yeah, Josiah was born and raised about a dozen miles from Washington, D.C., and he was enslaved by this family called the Riley family. Right. They were uh, good Baptists, and um, mm, yeah. Yeah, they were they were very cruel to him. Right, so he was born into slavery. Yeah. So how did he gain his freedom? Well, um, at one point, so he becomes a, a Christian minister when he grows up, and he uh, he starts preaching to raise money for his freedom, and he actually raises 75%, and he gives them a down payment, and um, they end up adding a zero to what he owes, and so he's never going to be able to pay it off, and Mm -hmm. so they try to sell him south to New Orleans, and so he ends up escaping with his wife and four children, and they walk 600 miles to freedom in Canada. Right, okay, good. So so that's, I'm sure you tell a a lot of that journey, if not all of it, in in the book and in the documentary. It's a fascinating story. Maybe you can give us a little bit of the highlights. So uh, he he crosses with his family into Canada. How does he get involved with, or how does he end up helping with the Underground Railroad? Well, you got to remember when Josiah escapes. He he runs away in 1830. So this is prior to the Underground Railroad really even being developed. So uh-huh. he is an early conductor as the railroad gets <laughs> going. Yeah, he rescues 118 people, and uh, I'm currently on a 10,000 mile book tour, and I actually had a a very guilty looking man come up to me at a screening in Kentucky a couple weeks ago. And he said, uh, my family used to enslave a family, uh, the Lightfoot family that Josiah helped to escape to freedom. So history is so much closer than I think we realized. That's amazing. So would he have, would he have helped a lot of those slaves, uh, escape while he also was escaping or did he arrive into Canada and then kind of was part of that initiate, initiate help helping initiate that underground railroad? So he once he gets the freedom and really gets his family settled in, then he starts making trips right. back. So yeah, that's amazing. Okay. That's amazing. Um, I, I can't help but think about 
all the migrants that are trying to get into the United States right now. And then this, a lot of people would have been doing this. The slaves would have been doing the same thing, trying so to get I'm out of the States. I'm Canadian. Yes. So the joke up in Canada right now is that we're going to build a wall and make America pay for it. Yes. And then we're going to build a tunnel to Mexico so everyone can come straight <laughs> north to us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The Underground Railroad comes back. Um, so um, the the... The Road to Dawn, where does the title of the book come from? So Josiah is actually part of starting a Freeman settlement uh-huh. in Ontario called Dawn, D-A-W-N. Okay. Yes. And it's it's this area, it's this vision, this idea of freedom, of a new beginning, of a fresh start. And that Freeman settlement grows to over 500 people. Wow. So it's quite the, uh, it's quite the happening place and it becomes very well known and he has supporters all over the world. Um, he, you mm-hmm. know, one of his supporters for over 20 years is Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the famous poet. So, oh, wow. It's a, it's a well-known place at the time. So, I mean, it sounds like, obviously, I can, I can assume that he's accomplished a lot. Maybe people in various places were hearing about him. How did he end up being a guest at the White House and at Windsor Castle? Well, so he, how he ends up at the White House, um, he gets a tour um, with Rutherford B. Hayes. Um, mm-hmm. Josiah is friends with Frederick Douglass, mm-hmm. the great abolitionist. And so okay. Douglass actually facilitates the introduction. Um, I found a, a really funny letter from a minister to Frederick Douglass, and he says, well, uh, now that we know that our old friend Henson is the real Uncle Tom, <laughs> I wonder if Harriet Beecher Stowe's publisher will cough up any money for the life rights to his story. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> of course, that never happens. Right. And, and, and is it a similar story that he ends up in with Queen Victoria and Windsor Castle? Uh, so how he ends up meeting uh, Queen Victoria is, you know, so so Uncle Tom's Cabin comes out. It's a massive success. It's the number one selling book of the century. Yeah. Um, you know, 1.3 million copies his first year in print. And the South just says that Stowe is a liar. Okay. And so she publishes a second book called The Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin, uh-huh. where she just names names and sources. And she mentions Josiah eight times in that book. Hmm. And so he becomes world famous. And so... Queen Victoria wants to meet him. I've actually read her diary entries. Really? Um, she talks about reading the memoir and then inviting him to Windsor Castle. And she actually pulls out her whole family to meet him because she's amazing. so excited to meet the real Uncle Tom. That's amazing. So how did you how did you come across Josiah Henson? Well, my wife had been wanting to read Uncle Tom's Cabin for a long time. Mm-hmm. I was in a bookstore in Florida in 2014, mm-hmm. and I saw a copy on the shelf. So I bought it and I put it in her stocking. Yeah. And she read it, was really moved by it, and... As you know, I'm a curious guy. This yeah. is my fourth documentary and third book. And yeah. so I did a little bit more research, and there was a throwaway comment somewhere that it was based on a real man. I went, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've never heard this story before. Yeah. So I did a little bit more research, and I learned that Josiah lived less than two hours from my own house. Wow. And I'd never heard about him in school or history or mm-hmm. anything. So next thing you know, I ended up traveling 3,000 miles to retrace his journey from slavery to freedom. That's amazing. And now there's a book, his biography, The Road to Dawn, and also a documentary narrated by Danny Glover. Um, Why both? Why not just write a book or just do a documentary? Well, I mean, this is we live in a very visual era and um, we just want to be able to really help people um, like see the story as well as hear it Mm -hmm. and read it. I don't think this is the end of the project for me either. We're currently working on a kid's book version of it. Oh, nice. And eventually I want to shoot a feature film version nice. of it as well. I want as many people to know Josiah's story because I, I'd love to see him get restored to the abolitionist pantheon alongside 
Harriet Tubman and Baldwin yes. Northup, Frederick Douglass. So absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So uh, maybe we can end with you've you've probably are learning a lot, but what would you say is the one main thing that you've learned or that we can all learn from mm-hmm. Josiah Henson's life? When Josiah gets to the Niagara River, there's a kind Scottish man that offers to pay to send his family across. But he asks Josiah a question first. He says, are you going to be a good man? And Josiah replies, I will use my freedom well. Hmm. And history shows that he did that. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Mm-hmm. We weren't just free to just live a comfortable American dream lifestyle. We have to steward our influence and our affluence on behalf of others. And so that's the question that's really been rattling around in my head is, wow. am I using my time, talent, and treasure Am I using my freedom well on behalf of those with less? So that's really the big lesson of Josiah's life. It's all about stewardship. Hmm. Again, I can't uh, but help but think about what's happening in this U.S.-Mexico border to use our freedom well. That's that's a great lesson. Thank you, uh, Jared, for bringing a little bit of this. I hope it's it's piqued everybody's interest. It, it certainly did mine when you told me about it. So uh, uh, good luck with the rest of the tour and uh, looking forward to the feature film. <laughs> that that's, yeah, so that would be awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Jared Brock is the author of a few books, A Year of Living Prayerfully, Bearded Gospel Men, and he's also the director of Over 18 and Red Light, Green Light. His latest book is The Road to Dawn, and the latest documentary is Josiah, based on the life of Josiah Henson. You can find out more about the documentary and the book at josiahhenson.com. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Taylor Tripodi, with her single, You Heard My Name.
traded your life, I might have mine to be with you for all time. As you gave up your breath, even certain death couldn't hold you down. So That was Taylor Tripodi with her single, You Heard My Name. Taylor Tripodi began learning to play guitar at age 8 and began writing songs at age 11. She made her first album through a Kickstarter campaign while she was studying music at Franciscan University in Steubenville. That album is titled Be Glorified, and she says that she made it so that all those who listen to these songs can draw closer to his sacred heart, all for his glory. Now, Taylor is transitioning into full-time ministry doing music and speaking, and she has now been working on her next album, which she hopes will release this fall. And to tell us more, I'm very happy to welcome Taylor Tripodi to our program. Taylor, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hi, Deacon. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's so good. I'm so excited to meet you. Um, I'm a little upset that I didn't hear about you when the, your first album came out because your music is, <laughs> is really, really good, but better late than never, right? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. So you're the, you're the oldest of nine kids, correct? I am. It's true. It's, it's a lot. No, it's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's great. So what was it like growing up? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> so my parents didn't always plan on having such a big family. You know, I grew up, um, yeah. and when I was six years old, my three-year-old brother passed away, okay. and it just really changed my family a lot um, for the better, praise God. Um, uh-huh. But my parents really started to embrace the faith and embrace uh, just living the fullness of the Catholic faith. And before that, before my brother had passed away, they were kind of just living like a lukewarm Catholic Christian lifestyle, and uh-huh. so, yeah, so um, growing up after that happened, you know, they, they started having <laughs> a lot of kids, and uh-huh. um, from from that point on, my parents really were dedicated to raising us in the faith and to make um, our relationship with God a priority. Right, wow. And so, obviously, it was a faithful household. Was it also a musical household? <laughs> 
Um, you know what's funny is my mom, she sings, but she doesn't like to admit that she sings. Okay. So, you know, I would always hear her singing through the house, and she's, she likes to be uh, one of those loud singers at Mass. Uh, okay. But she will never, she'll never openly admit it, so it definitely runs in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, my siblings, one of my sisters plays the piano, a couple okay. of them sing. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how it was. So did you, you uh, I said, or I, I mean that you started playing guitar at eight. What is that? Cause you mm-hmm. just wanted to, or did you just picked it up? Were you studying music at school or what? Yeah. You know, I think I saw it. So when I was little, I loved country music still do to this day. Okay. Um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember seeing, uh, Faith Hill and uh-huh. all these other country artists playing the guitar. And so I think, in the end, that kind of drew me to want to learn more about it and was a little bit curious. And so my mom bought me my first guitar when I was really little. And then they started putting me in lessons. So that's okay. kind of how that happened. That's awesome. And then you started writing songs at age 11. What, 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 were, you writing, what were you writing about? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, now that I think about it, I think the first song, uh, one of the songs that I wrote was about a boy that I had a crush on. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's always good. <laughs> so pretty... It's good to write about. To my yes. namesake. Yeah, so Taylor Swift-like, you know? Yeah. And then um, and one of the other ones I wrote was just about doing God's will. So it's kind of funny oh, yeah. how the two were intermixed there. So That's yeah. good. That's good. Um, were you singing or playing at church? Yeah, you know, I started cantering uh, for Mass when I think, I want to say I was either 11 or 12 years old. So, um, yeah, my parents put me... Um, at, into the church and kind of got me starting to sing in church since I was really little. Yeah. So. Did you ever go mm-hmm. through, I mean, obviously you went to Franciscan University, but th- as a teenager, did you ever think, okay, I got all these siblings and my parents are too Catholic and, and this is not making a lot of sense for me? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I think everyone has moments of doubt and moments of just, yeah. oh, you know, like I'm not, I'm not really sure, like, is this for me? But then, um, so definitely I have experienced those moments through my life and especially I would, you know, it's kind of crazy. I went to like the most Catholic university ever. Yeah. Um, and even there you still, um, you yeah. still have to take of ownership of the faith that you were given as a child. And so um, I had those moments for sure, but I think the Lord was so good in his mercy just to lead me back um, to where, you know, where I am and where I'm striving to be. Yeah. So. Did you? Why did you decide to go to Franciscan University? Was that, I mean, were you thinking yeah. I'm Catholic? I need to go to a super Catholic, or I don't know. Do they have a good music program? I don't know. <laughs> I actually yeah, don't know anybody. Funny. I don't know anybody that has gone there to study music. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. It's it's funny because uh, so throughout high school, um, I went to the Steubenville Youth Conference. Okay. Yes. And that played a huge yeah, of part course. in. Yeah, that yeah. definitely played a huge part in me wanting to, to go there. So. Yeah, and it's not far from home, I guess. That also helps. No, yeah, it's two hours. It's yeah. not, not a very far drive. That's great, yeah. not Close enough that you can come home if you want to, but not that close that you can't be home every all, all, every weekend. That's, yeah, I know. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> that's perfect. That's <laughs> yeah. great. So um, I'm curious, the song that we heard just before we uh, you came on is called mm-hmm. um, You Heard My Name. And you wrote mm-hmm. that in the Holy Land. Tell me about that. I did. Yeah. So, wow, what a what a life-changing opportunity. I would have never been able to do that had it not been for an opportunity that was given me by Jeff Caven. Uh-huh. Yeah. He asked me to be the cancer to lead music for that week. 
And um, wow. so that kind of, that song kind of came about when I was in the Garden of Gethsemane and just yeah. uh, the weight of the passion and just the weight of his agony, but most importantly, just the weight of his love just really struck me when I was there. And um, uh-huh. so that song just kind of came out of that experience. And um, yeah, the Holy Land was just Wow, absolutely life-changing. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. People need to go. If they haven't, they need to go. Oh my Um, gosh, absolutely. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. Um, So the new album, Awakening... Can we say that that's going to be the title? I, I guess. I don't know. I've, you're, you're the yeah, second person that, so far that I speak to with an album that hasn't been released yet, and they're not quite sure whether they want to admit that they have a title or not. <laughs> no, no. This is, I'm, I'm pretty set on it because most of the other songs that will, hopefully, God willing, be put on the album kind of have that same theme to it as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can probably count on that being the title of the album. For yeah. Sure. Do you are did you I don't know how 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 does it compare with Be Glorified? Did you set up I'm going to do an album or is it that I now have so many songs that are written that we could make an album? How did you kind of decide that it's time for a new album? You know, uh I think that after a period so I the last time that I put together the album was in 2015 which was almost, uh-huh. uh, was like three years ago. Yes. And so um, I kind of, it's, it's going to sound a little crazy, but I put music kind of on the back burner for a little while. Um, uh-huh. I was having some vocal problems and different things like that. And so I kind of just thought that that was God's way of, you know, mm-hmm. pulling me away and taking me somewhere else. Uh, but then really, truly just this past year, uh, this past fall, and really in the Holy Land, like, I felt the Lord just calling me, calling me back to that and um, just telling me that like he wasn't trying to take away music from me, but he wants me to just persevere and push, push through it and just really seek him in that. And so, so yeah, so I, you know, these songs started coming, coming through uh, in prayer and uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try this and I'm going to make another album. We'll see what happens, you know? So it was kind of like an awakening. <laughs> it was. <laughs> exactly. Wow. It all comes together. No, that's, that's awesome. Um, I really, really like your music. Um, you, you say that you love songwriting. Why do you love song, songwriting so much? Oh, my gosh. Uh, it is seriously such a gift. Uh, I think the thing I love most about it is that it's really just the way that I connect with God through prayer, or at least not the way, but one of the ways that I connect with Him through mm-hmm, prayer. So. Mm-hmm. A lot of times uh, when I'm praying, like I'll just be given kind of like a theme in my heart, or maybe it's like something that I'm going through personally that um, the Lord is trying to stretch me or yeah. uh, to teach me something. And so a lot of times just words will kind of pour out. And uh, since I was little, you know, melodies were something that was easy to kind of to come up with. Uh, and so, you know, putting the two together, like, I just, I love to be able to express um, my personal relationship with God through prayer. So. Yeah. No, that's great. And you can express so much more through music emotionally that you can't express with just words. Um, I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, really looking forward to the full album and not just, uh, you know, one track and then maybe possibly a bonus track. So uh, <laughs> we're going to stay in touch and uh, keep up the good work because it's it's really good. And good luck as you transition into full-time ministry because uh, good for you. Good for you. Thanks um, so much, Deacon. I appreciate it. 
Okay, great. So, Taylor Tripodi, you can learn all about her. You can buy her music. You can book her for your next event at her website, taylortripodi.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily, taylortripodi.com. And here now is Taylor Tripodi with the song that will be the title track of her new album, Awakening. Listening to Taylor Tripodi with Awakening from her album of the same name. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Any comments or feedback or questions, send them to me via Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. Like the dawn.